Hello, good afternoon. I'm Mary Fran Johnson. Welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host for our program. I'm the CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing columnist on CIO.com. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the generous support of my friends at CIO.com and the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live to you right now on LinkedIn and on our YouTube channel which is called Tech Talk. And we welcome all of our viewers who are watching along with us today to join in this conversation with questions of your own. We'll be watching for those questions and doing our best to pass them along to my esteemed guest, who today is Sastri Durvasala, who is the CIO, the Chief Information and Client Services Officer at TIAA. This Fortune 100 financial services company started out more than a century ago as the Teachers Insurance and Annuity Association of America. It was founded by Andrew Carnegie to build a sustainable retirement system for teachers. TIAA has grown into a $40 billion organization that is serving the financial needs of people who are out there doing good in the world at more than 15,000 institutions across academia, government, medicine, cultural, and other nonprofit organizations. Sastry joined TIAA in February of this year with an unusually broad CIO plus role. He leads the global technology and client services organizations for a company with $1.2 trillion in assets under management. He came to TIAA from his most recent post, as Global Chief Technology and Digital Officer and Partner at McKinsey & Company, where he was leading the strategy and development of the firm's digital products and platforms, its client-facing technologies, and all of the data, cyber, and cloud organization. Prior to that, Sastry served in various digital, data, and Chief Information Officer roles at insurance broker Marsh McLennan, and before that, at American Express. He is a longtime and passionate advocate for diversity and sustainability, and he serves today on the board of directors of Girls in Tech, which is a global nonprofit dedicated to eliminating the gender gap in technology. Sastry, welcome. It's so nice to have you with us today. Thank you, Mary Fran. Pleasure, pleasure is mine. Let's start out at that macro level in basically taking advantage of all that experience you have had across insurance and financial services and now the retirement and lifetime income segment of this vast industry. Talk a little bit about what you have been observing in the last few years about the big picture impact of all of this great uncertainty that we're living through now. Uh, I, I guess I'm after your helicopter view of some of the trends that you're seeing. Yeah, I think, you know, financial services obviously has been going through, um, as an industry, a level of transformation for the last decade plus mm -hmm. with the advent of new technologies and data and AI and digital disruption mm -hmm. that we've seen. Um, obviously, I've, I've had a, um, the front row seat uh, to some of these big transformations that were happening driven by fintech and big tech in mm -hmm. combination with large scale financial services firms that I was fortunate to be part of, um, which pretty much every firm that I worked at was um, at least a hundred year old company, except McKinsey, uh, which is almost hundred, yeah. but uh, you know, large payment services firm, which uh, is a 175 year old and a 
150 plus year old um, insurance and risk mm-hmm. uh, firm with Marshall McLennan. So, you know, I think the industry has been going through this transformation. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the companies that I had the opportunity to work at um, have been able to take advantage of this transformation, especially in payments that we've seen. Mm-hmm. What I would say now at the like stepping back and looking at it macro level, post pandemic, every company is now going through this transformation. It's interesting. Right? So there's, yeah. there's, no, there's no more, I'm going to wait for my turn. I think everybody was literally forced into their turn. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think every company is now going through this new normal, mm-hmm. which is a great thing for the financial services industry largely. So yeah. uh, because there's a lot of uh, movement that is client-centric, that is colleague-centric for firms. And obviously um, that was the biggest draw for me to join um, you know, an iconic firm like TIA, yeah. uh, you know, which is, which is a purpose-driven firm that serves people who serve others. And that mission was a big draw for me. And, and as we think about the new normal, uh, how do we uh, empower um, our colleagues in serving our clients? Yeah. How do we create new experiences for our clients? And we serve generations of clients, right? So we have, right, right. you know, we have clients, as you, as you pointed out in your introduction, we have clients that have been accumulating with us for, for their retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have clients who, have, who are retired and who are decumulating their savings for their living. So um, you, you think about the different generations that we have to serve and different experiences that we have to curate um, on one side. Mm-hmm. You know, thousands of institutions that we work with, whether they are higher ed or medical or research or nonprofit, and then, of course, on the asset management side, as you said, you know, um, how do we invest, you know, and to make the world better? Yes. Uh, so the $1.2 trillion, it's like it's a great opportunity to be part of an iconic forum where we can make a difference and, and really drive the new 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 normal and, and the new ways of uh, engagement with our clients. Yeah. Well, and of course, uh, we have so many conversations these days, especially with CIOs that start with all the how-tos and what you're doing in digital transformation, because that has been, that's kind of the catch-all power term that we've talked about in this industry, probably to the point where everybody's eyes are crossing a little bit because we talk about it so much. But whenever I talk with really large uh, institutions and the CIOs there, and we start talking about the transformations underway, always in the back of my mind is that need to transform the core. And I know that that's, I've been to so many meetings over the years where you'd have CIOs talking about the latest projects they're doing and it's all cool stuff and figuring out ways to connect with customers more digitally and so forth. But then there's always this lurking monstrosity of the the technical debt. I heard one CIO one time describe it as an iceberg and how the top of the iceberg can actually look beautiful and be covered with snow and it has friendly penguins running around on it. But then underneath the water is the rest of it. And that, of course, are the mainframe systems. And the older the company, the more you have that core that has to be transformed along with everything. Tell us about well, tell us about your, essentially your mission statement for your strategy, because what I found so engaging about it was that you mentioned that transformation of the core right away. Yeah, it's a great, great point, right? So my mission statement is a three-legged stool. So one leg of the stool is powering the strategic ships of the business. So on the business front, we want to be a leader in providing lifetime income for all. 
Yeah. Uh, we want to delight our clients and we want to strengthen how we operate. So that has been the mission statement, especially with the arrival of the new CEO, Tashanda Brown Duckett, who joined last year. Mm-hmm. We've been on a path for, for the, loosely speaking, TIA 2.0. Uh, how do we serve our clients and our institutions um, through that? The second leg is fueling innovation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, technology is at the forefront of uh, any business. And for our business, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's going to change driven by technology in the new normal, as I just referenced. So that's the second leg. The mm-hmm. third leg, which is the most complex and difficult uh, and yet most fulfilling leg, is the uh, uh, transform the core. Yes. while transforming the core. So uh, to be honest, that's, that's the, the, the beauty of a role like this, right? Where you're part of a 100-year-old firm that has been built uh, through generations of technology. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so we have the most cutting-edge technology on one side of the spectrum. Then we have data centers and legacy systems and large mainframes still running in the back end. And how do we transform that core to drive forward the vision and the experiences and the innovation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a big focus. We have a company-wide technology ecosystem transformation um, initiative that's underway, which is, uh, you know, um, which is sponsored by the board. So it's, it's mm-hmm. a big priority for the firm. And uh, we, are, we are obviously trying to lift the platform at the core while you know we run a two-speed lane to drive the innovation and experiences so that it's a sustainable change yeah uh, because a lot of the experiences and innovation you know for them to live longer they need a stronger core mm-hmm. yeah. well and um put into perspective for our audience either listening to us on the podcast or maybe tuning in and watching what it means to be the combined role of cio plus chief of the client services organization. That usually would fall under another senior member of the executive team, but you've got both roles. So how does that, how does that work together for you? Yeah, I think it's, it's a, I would say to, to you know, um, the audience and my friends in the industry who are watching this, who are CIOs or, um, mm-hmm. or who are going to be CIOs, this is the best time. Uh, to be in the industry as a technology leader, because especially in the new normal, the roles and the horizons for the CIO are changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my role is a classic example of that. So obviously I had the privilege to do that in my prior roles as well, leading digital and technology or data and AI and technology or data and digital and AI. Uh, so I had different oh, combinations. It's quite a long list actually. Yeah. Coming here. So it obviously is mm-hmm. quite a tool set that I have with me, but uh, but here I have the opportunity to lead technology and all of the client services. So together, this function that I lead as an enterprise shared service for the firm is close to 60% of our colleagues yes. in the company. And, and, and client services colleagues take a call from the client, a participant, all the way to managing complaints and financial mm-hmm. crimes and fraud management to a lot of the middle office and the back office operations. So mm-hmm. if you think about it, the opportunity there to enrich the conversation with the client, to delight the experience for the client, to handle some of these complaints through automation, to drive intelligent automation in the back end. Every one of those things would need technology. So, uh, so it's nice to have, um, you know, the technology organization that's going to drive this, and we can literally test and learn on the client services side where we can actually put that into action. And a great example is 
the partnership that we recently launched with Google uh, in, in the AI space, where my technology organization obviously built the capabilities and the, my data, data team you know, worked with, with Google on the data science part, but then we are able to put that experience in the hands of our colleagues that are serving the clients as the call comes in or as complaints come in, you know, how do we actually address those complaints, you know, at much different space and, 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 and speed. And also uh, some of the natural language processing insights that we're providing to our colleagues on their desktop so that they can actually have a meaningful conversation with our participants. I think some of that really comes to, you know, real life, uh, the proximity advantage uh, in our global locations where, you know, technology and our client services colleagues coexist is, is phenomenal. Yeah. Well, and when you say you've got essentially your clients internally in the um, areas of technology and client services, that's 60%, 60% of the people that are working for my colleagues uh, yes. yeah. now. Yes. That, well, that makes me wonder too, you'd mentioned that most of the business innovation has to come from eventually changing the technology underneath. Um, talk a little bit about how you have the technology and client service, the kind of changes maybe that you've made in not, not even quite a full year yet, but the yeah. sort of things, how do you organize the technology and client services functions to take maximum advantage of that and the things that need to get done going forward? Yeah, so we did, um, you know, we started with the strategy and then we put our strategy on a page. And then from there, we created the operating model and then we created the organizational structure in that sequence mm -hmm. uh, since my arrival. So the technology organization has um, three components. So one component is our what I would call the business-facing CIOs. So the largely, you know, we have retirement services, which is the largest business unit. Asset management, as you, as you referenced, it's $1.2 trillion of assets under management in our Naveen business. And then we have wealth and other businesses that we have. So I have CIOs on my leadership team that face off to the CEOs of these respective business units. Sure. Then I have the shared services organization where we have information security, cloud and infrastructure, data and artificial intelligence um, and partnerships. So those are the roles that we have. They cut across all the business lines. And then we have a global business services organization that has the global locations that actually works with all these different units as well to create the scale and horsepower uh, in the back end. So I think you know, that's how we manage the uh, structure on the client services side mm -hmm. with a similar model. So we have client services leaders that are responsible for doing the same for the respective business units. And they work very closely with the CIOs and the technology shared services services team. Um, we have, in addition to that, we have a, an innovation arm called Client Tech Labs. Yes. Uh, and that's, that is like the fuel uh, for innovation. So all of these different teams have access to the Client Tech Labs and we've opened our labs to all of our colleagues now. It's a cloud-based labs, the multi-cloud environment, um, and that's where a lot of the incubation ideas. So if any colleague in our organization can submit an idea and then that idea could be consumed through innovation projects in, in, uh, in the lab. So that's kind of, the, you know, broadly speaking, that's yes. what we organize. Well, and I want to, um, before we wrap up today, I want to make sure that we dive into that a little bit more because you have a number of things going on just in the talent area that are very, you know, like are very engaging about how you are keeping people and upskilling and that sort of thing. 
But right now, I, I wanted to, before we get to that, I wanted to pivot into uh, something you said when we were preparing for this interview, was that the, there are these big tech innovations that are happening right now, kind of in front of us. But in uh, I had never heard the term retire tech or silver tech. Yeah. So I've heard fintech, and we hear about all the different techs that are disrupting different parts of the financial services industry. What is happening that's disruptive in retire tech? Is it simply the vast span of age groups that your company deals with? Uh, tell us more about that. Yeah, so retire tech, just for definition's sake, as I said before, retire tech is largely speaking technology, fintech companies that are focused on the accumulation side. So how easy do we make it to accumulate, how intelligent it is, how intuitive it is, uh, in today's world and serving like different generations as they make those decisions. And then silver tech is on the decumulating side where you're actually leveraging those savings. Then there's wealth tech, uh, which is more on the advisory side of the house and like wealth management because wealth management is a big, big focus area for us. Mm -hmm. Of course, on the asset management side, we have other um, um, activities happening with climate tech, et cetera, because we have a huge focus on ESG. But um, mm -hmm. so retire tech and um, silver tech are still like, I would say emerging uh, fintech. Uh, it's not like payment tech that I was part of or insure tech that I had a chance to be part of before, right. before coming yeah. here. Uh, so it's still forming. So it, it's a great advantage point for TIA uh, mm -hmm. to lead from the front as we lead in lifetime income and leverage best of breed ecosystem strategies uh, in doing so. But if you if you ask me the focus of retired tech today, which is evolving. So, um, yeah. and I'm not going to suggest that that is like a, if you look at the different generations, right? So um, we've got like younger generation who normally doesn't think about retirement. Uh, how, do we, how do we leverage retired tech to make it easy for them? They're obviously all comfortable with fintech in other formats, right? So yeah. whether it's financial services with whom they bank, how they tap their card and all that stuff. So how do we bring that intuition into retirement so that, they can actually start leveraging, you know, um, you know, their savings towards retirement. Part of it, obviously, um, because retirement is not something that you visit every day. So the other right. yeah. disadvantage we would we have by just the nature of the industry is it's not a daily conversation we have, right? So, which makes every conversation that we have with our participants far more important and far more valuable. So. We okay. need to really drive that experience to a point where we leverage the maximum out of that conversation or interaction we have with the participants. So that's a big mm -hmm. focus for us. So on the experience front, you know, we, we've just recently um, hired a chief digital and client experience officer, Jessica yes. Parker. And uh, so she's a colleague of mine and we're focused very heavily on driving that level of experience uh, so that we can engage with different generations. But you switch mm -hmm. to silver tech, how easy is it? Uh, to get access to that and like mm -hmm. like standard things like money in and money out transactions you know can we how many how many clicks can we reduce so that people can easily access that and if they have inquiries how can we assist them because they may not have the same technical capabilities that the younger generation has so we need to serve you know different generations so that's more focus of the silver tech uh, yes. so we're really excited actually to be the the incubator for some of this and, you know, be embodying some of this into our own solutions and capabilities. 
Now <laughs> is far more mature. Uh, obviously, there's a wealth, wealth, wealth management business. Sure. Wealth tech, I think, is a lot more advanced. So we def- we're definitely tapping into that side as yeah. well. Are you seeing, are there any particular technologies out there that are essentially accelerating all of this much more? I mean, causing it to be something that everybody needs to get on board with and catch up with very quickly. Um, is it, yeah. you know, is it AI, the use of AI and machine learning? Is it multi-cloud environments? Is there any technology that, well, that you as the CIO with this very broad role are paying more particular attention to now than maybe you needed to a couple of years ago? I think AI ML is undoubtedly the most advanced um, mm-hmm. mainstream topic that we are actively leveraging. Okay. I'm excited that you know I have a chief data and AI officer who joined my leadership team, Swati Singh, who herself is a PhD in machine learning, who has extensive experience in data and AI. So we're working very actively on that. And I think um, personalization, because I'm referencing my different generations and different uh, types of participants and institutions that we work with, mm-hmm. how do we personalize the experience for, for those participants? How do we personalize the experience for our colleagues who are serving those clients and participants mm-hmm. through AI? How do we create insights for our colleagues to best serve um, their customers um, in this case? How do we personalize the experiences on the digital channels? So a lot of that is being driven by AI. Google partnership I referenced is is one step in that, one major step in that direction, but we have a lot of exciting work that's happening on the AI ML front. But besides AI ML, I would say there are a number of other technologies. Obviously, as we get into quantum and Web3 and the advancements mm-hmm. that's happening in the industry undoubtedly will yield uh, new benefits to our clients uh, and, and new ways of enriching those experiences and capabilities. So we are actively watching that in our incubation side of the house, which is the client tech labs that I referenced. Yes. Um, and generally speaking, mobile and digital technology that hasn't been really embraced in retirement services to the extent possible, unlike mm-hmm. other parts of the financial services industry, we are obviously very actively focused on that. Okay. I think that's almost stable stakes, but retirement services as an industry needs to get into uh, you know more mainstream on that as well. All right, that makes sense. Um, I want to dive into the client tech labs a little more deeply. Um, yeah. That is because that is something you have initiated since you joined TIAA. All right, tell us about that, about what the client tech club, what does it mean? Is that like having a customer, you know how you have those... Um, uh, big companies tend to have the customer technology innovation centers where people can come in and see all the cool things you're doing, maybe with advanced tech. This sounded like something a little more um, company-wide where you have a lot of different folks involved in it. So tell us about the client tech labs and what yes. they're meant to do and how they're organized. The client tech labs has um, client front and center Mm-hmm. technology and labs for incubation. So, um, and hence the name Client Tech Lab. So we're focused on a few things on that. So one is collaboration with our clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the advantage of TIA's clients that we serve is that we have access to the higher ed, uh, the who's who of education in, in the industry, right? So how do we work with our clients and collaborate on new ways of um, enriching the experiences for our primary customer base, which is the participants who work um, in these universities. Um, 
uh, who could be professors, who could be researchers, who could be administrative staff. Yeah. Uh, how do we enrich their experiences in partnership with clients and their students and faculty, et cetera. So there is obviously a number of opportunities there to serve our clients with our clients, uh, you know, through those, through those innovations and collaborations. So that's one, one side of the house. Emerging tech, you know, everything that we've discussed so far, you know, how do we actually incubate those technologies? How do we build uh, new capabilities in the labs environment is, is obviously another big focus for us. And then FinTech partnerships that we just discussed, how do we build partnerships with, with FinTechs um, in this environment is another big focus. And then the last one is really industry and academia partnerships. So we are pretty active in the industry. As an example, in the cyberspace, we are active with um, Ren Isaac, which is Research and Educational Network Cyber Consortium, uh, FS Isaac, Financial Services uh, yeah, Cyber Consortium in the industry. So we are pretty active there. Uh, academia, we are working with a number of universities um, in, in terms of research partnerships. As an example, we have um, NYU, uh, Tandon School of Engineering, we have a partnership there where we can send our colleagues uh, to get graduate level um, degrees in cyber, which is obviously a hot market, right? So, um, so right now we have like 70 colleagues who are going to be graduating with cyber you know, grad degrees from NYU from various disciplines that they have been you know, experienced in, but they're going through this program with NYU. So, um, so academia partnerships is a big one. And then lastly, we also use this for partnerships with nonprofits to bring in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we have partnerships with Girls in Tech, mm -hmm. Society of Women Engineers, uh, Blacks in Tech, where we're actually conducting uh, next month in their huge conference, we are conducting an AI workshop sponsored by Client Tech Labs. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a combination of these various partnerships that are coming in. We are still in the early stages, I would say. I think the early, early wins are pretty good, but I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunities in front of us. Well, it was interesting too that you said in that graduate program in cyber, these are not just people out of the cybersecurity organization itself right. that are advancing their skills. You're bringing them in from other parts of the technology organization. Also client services, that organization as well? That's right. Yeah. So if you are a client services professional who has been, mm -hmm. let's say, handling financial crimes and fraud, ah, uh, yes. so who has an acumen in that space, mm -hmm. you always wanted to leverage your skill set from an industry, but advance the technical skills, we have an option for you at this point. Yeah. That's great. Now, when you uh, and you also have an, a new executive on your teams who is handling essentially forging all these partnerships with outside industry leaders. That is a role you created when you got to TIA. Yeah, all yeah. Right. So we call this. Um, so Taisha Smith, uh, who's on my leadership team, she leads this uh, organization. We call it Tech Pact Partnerships Acceleration and Cultural Transformation. So. Uh, she has been in the forefront of a lot of these partnerships now, and um, we just uh, were part of uh, the DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth Hackathon. Uh, yes. We sponsored it through our client tech labs uh, this past weekend, actually. We ran a big hackathon with all of our interns. We had over 96 interns that went through the client tech labs uh, partnership where they actually came up with ideas that got recognition. And then these are coming from 50 different universities. Wow. Uh, 50 different universities in the United States that were part of this hackathon in Client Tech Labs. So I think 
you know, we're, we're beginning to see a lot of energy and momentum on this and Taisha is in the forefront of that. Yeah. Excellent. Well, and I know Dallas is one of the areas where you have new offices and you're, you've opened hiring down there as well. Because That's right. In Frisco. Yeah. We are opening up and we're going to add 2000 more jobs there. So quite excited actually about the opportunities to attract more talent in, in, in the Dallas area. Yeah. Now, when I think of all the different companies you've worked at, at Amex and at Marsh, and then, of course, with McKinsey, have you, wherever you go, do you always end up gathering all of these different type of resources throughout the company for this? Or do you have more of that going on now at TIAA? Yeah, I think it's a great, that's a fantastic question, because the companies that you mentioned before TIAA, mm-hmm. they're all global, global companies, yes. right? So mm-hmm. the advantage we have in TI, we are equally global. So we have asset management business that's global. We have a global business services that has large campuses in, in mm-hmm. India and elsewhere. So uh, <clears throat> what we are trying to do is we've opened a, a guild network, TIA-wide guild network that is accessible for different disciplines. Cyber, we just talked about it, but yes. there is like AI, there's other areas where um, the guilds can collaborate and mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where the colleague is from, they could be participating in a guild mm-hmm. um, and more for learning certifications, et cetera. But we, have, we are now beginning to take the next big step on our guild network and we are calling it guild gigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you could be measuring in on any role, like I could be a client services associate um, managing risk. And, and now I wanna learn um, the latest in AI and I could be doing okay. minor role in a gig in the as part of the guild uh so that way over time in addition to like learning through theory and through practice this is actually on the job learning so that's what guild gigs are about so we're we just beginning to launch guild gigs uh so hopefully by the time we talk next you know i'll have more stories to tell on how that's panning but i'm quite excited about you know what we're doing with the guild networks and guild gigs yeah that seems like a great, just from the outside, that seems like a very good talent retention move as well. That's right. Because yeah. people can suddenly see, employees can suddenly see career paths opening up into other areas. Yeah. It's early enough in it that you haven't started to see that kind of movement yet, but you expect yes. to. We're excited. I mean, cyber has obviously started a little bit of that. So we're seeing some women there, but mm-hmm. the leaders that we are able to attract now, <laughs> I'm quite excited about the possibilities ahead, yeah. Yeah. Now, and you've mentioned Google as one of your new industry partnerships, especially in the AI area. Are there any other big partners that you want to mention at this point, or are they still kind of in the works where you're figuring out the details? They're in the works. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think as a theatrical trailer, I will say that there is obviously a lot of focus on our technology transformation, as I referenced earlier, yeah. with a cloud-first API-driven, data-powered, digital-first, secure by design. That's our approach. So you okay. can imagine all the players in, the, in those respective spaces um, yeah. that we might be actively working with. So I'm quite excited about the possibilities ahead. But yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's one area. And then, of course, FinTech partnerships, as I referenced earlier, in retired tech and silver tech is another big focus area for us as we think about our uh, agenda ahead. Yeah. And are you finding with these sorts of opportunities for younger technologists to grow in their careers, uh, are you finding, is it difficult at all to get talent interested in retirement planning? Because, I mean, as you said, you know, when you're in your 20s, this seems like, well, it seems like 40 or 50 years from now. So um, how, do, how, do, how do you get around that? The fact that you're trying to get 
young, really leading talent at a company that is talking about retirement and silver tech. Is that any right. kind of a challenge or? I mean, it is. So technology talent um, in any industry is a challenge, right? Right now, well, I mean, yes. there's a lot of demand for, yeah. especially in the new normal that we live in post-pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and then industries like financial services are on the receiving end of the challenge more than others. And, and then, mm -hmm. as you rightfully say, retirement is not front and center we are not talking retail or we are not talking a payments product. So, but the, 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 the differentiation that TIA has, which very few companies can actually proudly talk about is we are a fortune 100 company that is born for purpose. Everything that we do mm -hmm. is purpose driven, right? So all the profits we make, we're giving mm -hmm. to the participants at the end of the day. So it's, so the, the, especially if you think about the next generation talent who are, you know, who are fascinated by purpose and serving others, yes. we have a very compelling story to tell uh, as a brand. Mm -hmm. and, and, and if, so my pitch always is, do you want to come work for a real purpose-driven Fortune 100 and make it cool uh, <laughs> and, and make the experience yeah. cool? That's a pretty, pretty cool gig to have. And I'm excited. I'm here and my leadership team is here. So, uh, yeah. you know, I think it's a very unique value proposition. Uh, you know, so obviously, you know, technology in a technology company is very different, uh, but yeah. technology and cool things in a company that is basically born out of a purpose, as you said, you know, in mm -hmm. Andrew Carnegie's own words, like hundred plus years ago yes. and taking it to the next level. I, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I, I think probably my mother was a kindergarten teacher. And so one of the very first insurance companies I was ever really aware of or retirement planning companies was TIAA. That's and awesome. I think about all of the people that we know that have mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles and brothers who have gone into the teaching professions. And um, I think it was it's certainly smart to be expanding, to have expanded into nonprofits and uh, I just, it, it, it's a very appealing concept, I guess. It is. And, and if, you, if I may just add one more comment on that, my friend, we just launched um, um, a major initiative called Retire Inequality. So um, it's, it's proven statistically that women retire with 30% less. Yes. So we have, a, we have a large focus on this. We have a very diverse executive uh, committee for the firm, and this is mm -hmm. a big focus. So now think about solutions and capabilities to bridge that gap mm -hmm. uh, and how do we create personalized experiences to bridge that gap for women uh, in their retirement planning so that's you know as part of our purpose you know just expanded purpose right to yeah. to to provide retirement for all uh, that's our agenda at this point yeah okay well that that is a no i wish you great luck with that that is a very noble agenda indeed i want to pivot over to talk just to get a little techie for a moment and um, I have read interviews with you and things you've said even throughout your career about intelligent automation and the importance of driving intelligent automation across the enterprise. Yeah. How are you able to do that? And is it, has it been more effective for you in this expanded CIO and client services role? Yeah, it's definitely, you know, because I'm on the I'm on the giving and receiving end of the spectrum, <laughs> right? So the more intelligent automation that I can drive in technology, the, the better my client services colleagues will be equipped with. So there is an automatic gift exchange <laughs> between the two, yeah. two hats that I have. But intelligent automation in a 
firm of our size and complexity, mm-hmm. like we have different vintages of contracts uh, over the last many, many decades, right? So that we have to think about as we think about intelligent automation. So, um, so that's where we're focused on the front office and the middle office and the back office functions. We have a pretty big roadmap, even to the core of our record keeping. Record keeping is a, you know, it's like the one of the foundational bricks of sure. um, retirement services. So we're focused on that in transforming that as well through automation and other other means. So um, as we drive more of this automation, we want to bring the best experiences to our colleagues mm-hmm. um, so that they can serve the clients better. So Google is one of those um, uh, experiences, obviously, that we're leveraging to build the intelligent automation. But there's a lot of RPA, um, you know, uh, pipelines that we're building, even to the developers that are actually building. You know, we're trying to drive as much as CI/CD automation in our developer experience because mm-hmm. developer experience is as important as client experience in this current construct of new normal, right? So the more our developers can can, can move fast and experiment yeah. fast and build these capabilities through agile development, the better our experiences for our participants or our institutions would be. So, so there is an intelligent automation set of work streams across colleagues, developers specifically, data scientists, as well as obviously mm-hmm. and, and clients and participants, yeah. Have there been any examples of a big early success you can point to with that? Something where, say, the CEO is, you know, calls you aside and says, Sastry, you know, what you've talked a lot about intelligent automation. Uh, what do you have to, what, what are the results? Do you have something like that you can talk about today? Yeah, I think one example I'm, 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 I can share more publicly is mm-hmm. from a participant point of view, when they call in with the intelligent automation that we have now put together uh, through chatbots and automation, you know, sure. that a lot of the requests that, you know, as a participant and, and you explain, you know, your mother about you know, her insurance. So when you call and if you're on hold to actually get to a, a customer's, you know, service rep, and then you go through the inquiry, that's a lot of time spent by our participants. So we have now taken um, a, a deep analytics on different calls we've gotten. Mm-hmm. And then we've gotten to a point where we know the call intents, the top call intents, and we're, st- we're starting to put intelligent automation to the top 10 call intents. So when you actually call in, you could be serviced through automation, uh, even if you choose to stay on the phone. Of course, we mm-hmm. always try to prompt our participants to go to the digital experience, but if you yes. choose to stay on the phone, uh, it could be served more automation uh, driven solutions versus waiting for you know a client service representative to talk to, yeah. to talk to the participants. So that's a great okay. example of you know reducing the friction points in our uh, client touch points. Mm-hmm. Now is that something that your new your chief digital client experience officer is that part of her remit or yeah oh okay so the way we work is um, she obviously has digital channels but also the end-to-end client experience. So, so Jessica Austin Barker, she's thinking through the different journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously my team works very closely hand in glove uh, to drive automation through some of these prioritized journeys so that we can drive it forward together. Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to pivot again over to your role as a board on the board of directors for girls in tech. Is that the only board that you serve on currently? Yeah, that's the that's the board that I serve on at a global scale as a nonprofit. So I'm really proud of it. I've had the privilege to be part of it from its early days uh, mm-hmm. and working with the founder and the CEO, uh, Adriana, Adriana Gascon, and <clears throat> a few thousand people. Now it's 
100,000 active members across 50 chapters around the globe. And uh, it's, it's an honor to serve uh, Girls in Tech as a board member, yeah. Well, and give us some perspective on what Girls in Tech has been able to accomplish so far and where you'd like to see things maybe uh, three to five years from now. What would you consider as a board, board of, uh, as one of the directors, what would be a real mark of success? Yeah, I think the main goal, obviously, is to reduce the gender gap or eliminate the gender gap, uh, which is our ambition. Uh, and that's done through empowerment. So there is a lot of work that happens through Girls in Tech where we create mentoring networks. I'm an active mentor, by the way, through, for a lot of mentees in the industry, um, you know, different industries, different age groups, different parts of, you know, their jobs and careers, whether they are technical or non-technical. So we've created a level of uh, mentoring networks and a dialogue uh, that happens. There's a lot of empowerment through education. So, you know, we've done a lot of uh, workshops, uh, master classes to teach. Mm -hmm. um, we've created um, job uh, postings, um, set of tools where people who are members of Girls in Tech can actively, you know, seek opportunities and then employers are coming in to put their jobs as an example. So that's mm -hmm. on one side of the spectrum. The second is advanced research. So we've done a lot of work in research, in fact, in, in my prior role, there was actually a research study was sponsored by McKinsey and Girls in Tech, where, you know, how do we get to the bottom of some of these core fundamental issues that yeah. we have? And then of course, the third is really empowering, you know, innovators to incubate new ideas and come up with, you know, businesses, opportunities, et cetera, and creating the mm -hmm. network. So we have a lot of work to do, uh, and I'm really proud, uh, you know, to be an ally in this space. And yeah. I think um, the male allyship is playing an important role as I see it now. Mm -hmm. uh, so I see a lot of my you know, peers in the industry leaning in more. So I think uh, together we can make a big difference. Good, good. Um, I often ask a question at this point to uh, about the most strategic tech and business priorities you have going into 20, the rest of 22 and then into 23, but wondering whether anything has shifted up or down on your list. Because you, it's and it may be a little unfair. You haven't even put in a full year there yet, and of course, we've talked about all the business transformation at scale, about powering the digital business, about leveraging data and AI. Is there anything that in this new normal, as we're all adjusting to it, that has kind of risen up higher than you might have thought a year ago? I think, as I said, you know, the business strategy that we have for TIA. I always go back to that as my north star. Mm -hmm which sure. is lead in lifetime income, delight our clients and strengthen how we operate. So the shifts that we are making are within those three respective pillars. Mm -hmm. So if I think about leading lifetime income, we are branching into new solutions. You know, we've always operated in the 403B market for higher education. Now we're getting into 401k market where we are coming up with new products for secure um, retirement. Uh, mm -hmm. And we call that the SIA product where we are launching new products in that space. So that's the new shift. Digital experience, especially in the post-pandemic new normal, um, different phrases used <laughs> to describe the world that we live in now. Right. Digital experiences and delighting our clients to that and, and creating personalized experiences through data and AI have obviously risen to the top of the list on that front. And there's a lot of focus on, on, on the experiences, whether it's web or mobile or client services, et cetera, et cetera. So that's yeah. a huge priority. And needless to say, in the post-pandemic world, uh, we are also testing the limits of the core, right? So we, 
So mm -hmm. the acceleration on the core transformation um, is happening. So mm -hmm. it probably was happening in a more gradual uh, style. Now we have a concerted approach to it. Like, let's yeah. get this done, you know, uh, through a multi-year journey. It's a large uh, undertaking, obviously, to drive technology ecosystem transformation for a company of our size and heritage. Yes. But that has definitely risen to the top. Uh, plus, of course, cyber threat landscape has changed extensively. And we are very, very, uh, you know, vigilant and diligent on the cyber capabilities. I have a new chief information security officer uh, who has extreme uh, credentials from the industry, you know, again, you know, ex, you know, comes from Silicon Valley background, working for large financial services firms, Pandora Mardikar. So I'm quite excited to have him on my leadership team as we drive forward the cyber agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that having it part of your mission statement to transform the core certainly implies that you're, you know, you're accelerating that a bit more, you're pressing, because Every CIO in any industry will talk about the need to reduce technical debt, but I, I often wonder whether that is going to be simply a never-ending issue that goes into the future. It, no one ever seems to get to ground zero with it. It might not even be desirable to do that because it would be so expensive. Um, what are the what are kind of the pillars of the signs of success that you're transforming the right parts of the core for TIAA? Yeah, I think it's a great question, right? So technical debt will never go away. It's kind of yeah. like you know our phones are always upgrading to the next operating system, <laughs> and and it's and, you know if you don't upgrade it, then you have technical debt on your own personal phone, as an example, right? Same thing with computers that we are operating and working every day mm -hmm. in our own personal world. So I think that will continue to happen. The, the, the difference here is some of the firms, like especially, you know, a Fortune 100 of our scale has a lot more to deal with. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we do need to leapfrog. So the goal is really to leapfrog in some of these technology layers. So we have a layer cake uh, for our technology ecosystem. And we are prioritizing the top 20 initiatives across these different layers so that we could cut across whether it's going to cloud or microservices and API enablement or digital experiences through design studios or an enterprise-wide data platform. So some of these things um, are, I think, foundational to the future. And so that's where we're going to put a lot more energy to leapfrog. As you rightfully say, we will never be able to get to like no technical debt. Technical debt will always be there, uh, mm -hmm. but can you maintain it at a level where you can continue the innovation without having to worry about um, legacy technology that's going to be on the critical path for every change we make. Yeah. Right? So that's kind of like the focus. So business enablement with debt, debt reduction, okay. uh, there is a sweet spot. It's more art than science, obviously, but that's that's the that's that's the mm -hmm. beauty of the role, right? So well, it may actually really be a combination of a lot of science and a good amount of art. That's right. You know? yeah. uh, it yeah. just and I I think you're I, I think you're right. I think technical debt. Well, often when we talk about it, we really don't talk about the different ages of it because <clears throat> technical debt, when you're talking 50-year-old technology, is very different from 10-year-old technology. That's right. I mean, most of a lot of companies, a lot of CIOs will identify a lot of their Microsoft platforms as a big part of technical debt. Yeah. So it just, we do keep, it, it's, I guess it's not the gift that keeps on giving, but, you know, it seems like something that's going to always be with us. Um, and it has to be a cyclical process as well, right? So yeah. once you do like these big one-time exercises, can you instrument a process where 
systemically you're designed to do these refreshes on a regular basis so that you don't have to deal with a lot of end of life or end of support type software mm -hmm. and hardware systems, right? So, yeah. yeah. Now, um, we talked about a lot of the very leading edge work going on, the innovation in AI and the database, the hyper-personalization solutions and your client labs. Is there any part of the way you encourage innovation, uh, kind of part of your innovation ecosystem that I didn't ask about yet or that you wanna be sure to shine a little light on? I think the Gill network we talked about, which is actually fantastic because it's open to our, all of our uh, colleagues. Mm -hmm. I talked about the interns uh, that, um, and we have a very mature intern program. So yes. we are opening up new outlets, um, partnerships, you know, with different academia, industry uh, entities, as well as uh, our clients uh, to kind of like drive that incubation. In fact, some of the interns that were in, you know, in, in that hackathon have now expressed interest to continue with us. Uh, you know, as they went back to their school, they want Good. to continue with us on a part-time to actually continue to build their prototype ideas that they that they won the prize for uh, to see the light of the day. So it's, I think some of that mm -hmm. stuff, a lot of focus on um, innovation um, inside emerging tech as well, uh, mm -hmm. you know, in, through intellectual property as well. And of course, big tech partnerships that I reference. So I think largely speaking, I think we have a pretty good um, system mm -hmm. set up now um, that's firing in various cylinders. Uh, so you'll see a lot more action from us. Yeah. Okay, great. Are there, um, let's pivot one more time over to the, the rest of the C-suite and the board and talk about ESG issues, the environmental, societal, and governance issues that we are all, I think, reading and seeing a lot more about these days. I know that this is an area that you have been very passionately interested in as well for a long time. How is the technology organization helping with ESG issues of any sort? Yeah, I think from my perspective, I see it in like three lenses. One is um, as a technology leader, I, I have the primary obligation to contribute to the net zero uh, commitment that we made as a firm. So that yes. undoubtedly is a big priority for, for my organization. There's a number of initiatives that we do to mm -hmm. make sure that we are on track for our net zero commitments. Uh, second is our asset management business, which is a Nuveen, mm -hmm. as, as, as you said, $1.2 trillion of assets that we manage has been very active, uh, has been one of the leaders in the ESG space, uh, even before ESG became mainstream. So there's a lot of innovative products and funds that we build uh, through our Naveen. Naveen is also a big investor in farmland. So there is a high likelihood that a glass of wine you might enjoy actually comes from uh, TIA Naveen grapes, as we say. So, because we are one of the largest farmland investors. So there is a lot of agri centric as well as ESG centric uh, focus in our Naveen products. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of product innovation, um, data and analytics uh, to foster um, you know, ESG products and, and make sure that they're governed properly uh, in the current climate. Uh, so that's a second um, uh, lens. Third is just personally as a technologist, it's a big focus area and passion area for me. I've actually been doing a lot of intentional learning and coursework myself in my spare time on uh, <laughs> climate and I'm a big yeah. uh, enthusiast in climate tech, uh, yeah. whether it's carbon capture or electrification or hydrogen and some of the other you know, emerging trends. So I'm, I'm a student of uh, climate tech, which obviously makes me fascinated by the ESG space. Yes. 
Well, and I'm I'm sitting here a little stunned at you mentioning having spare time because it <laughs> doesn't actually sound like you might have a lot have of it. But, but it's just, yeah. you know, well, we make time for the things yeah. that are most important to us, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, two final questions as we wrap up here. One, what can you tell us about uh, kind of comparing and contrasting between McKinsey, Marsh McLennan, Amex, and now TIAA, how are the workplace cultures different? We've, we've dropped the culture word into our conversation a few times, but I always like to put the brakes on and kind of ask about what does it actually mean? How is the culture different for you at TIAA? Or uh, what are some of the highlights uh, that you have brought with you as a leader? To TIA. I think TIA, if I look at it, the, uh, the, the, the culture can be defined by its purpose, right? Okay. So I think the, the beauty of the firm is all colleagues are purpose-driven uh, because the, the company is purpose-driven. The, mm -hmm. the profits are going back to the participants. So I think it's just a very symbiotic relationship in that sense when it comes to colleagues and how they think about their jobs, which is mm -hmm. fantastic. So that's, that's a very nice attribute of the firm. Uh, in terms of similarities to the attributes of the other firms that I worked at before, all big financial services firms and the advantage is, you know, and all of them are 100 plus year old financial services. So there yeah. is a set of attributes that are very common to any large scale financial services firm that are mm -hmm. culturally inherent, whether it's technology or business. Uh, there is the standard um, go-getters and then there is a standard set of lith lethargic elements in any firm that you have to deal with and that makes the job interesting, right? So I think yeah. those attributes, uh, technical debt being one of them as an example that we just talked about, that's mm -hmm. the second one. But culturally, I think in the new hybrid, new normal, I think new ways of engaging uh, with each other. Uh, you know, that's that's like really happening, you know, in front of us, right? Every firm is going through that and at TI, we are quite excited about opening those channels of communication. Like Gill Network is a classic example of that, right? Like yeah. You know, for an organization of our size and scale, how mm -hmm. do we bring all the colleagues together in a, in a way that they can just collaborate with regardless of where they are, right? I think some of these yeah. things culturally are changing uh, the core fabric, but I would say, you know, even, even from a hiring point of view, we look for culture add talent so that we could continue to drive transformation of the firm, you know, for the next set of generations that we need to serve. So I think um, so I think TIA is in that space and largely speaking, financial services is all going to that. And, you know, you can see like technologists um, at TIA dressed differently, you know, like it's like, like even like basic cultural elements, the way we work, our workspace has changed quite a bit. Some of our technology hubs are, you, you know, you, you know, you may assume that it is a high tech company hub and you, you walk in into a TIA technology hub. So we have actually opened up our uh, workspaces in a very different way as well, right? So good. All right. Well, last question as we wrap up here. What has changed most or has changed at all in your approach to your leadership style during the last two years of all of these? I've heard it called VUCA, the volatility in the environment. Everybody has, everything has changed so much in the last two to three years. When you look at the way you lead and uh, has there, what kind of an effect has it had? I think the main thing that changed a lot for me is um, listening. Uh, you know, I think it's an important skill more than ever, mm -hmm. especially when you are in this hybrid format, which we've all gone through. So um, 
I think we just naturally make some assumptions and we have inbuilt perceptions on how the other person is thinking. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to relate to that when you're in person, but when you're in a hybrid format, I think listening has to amplify yeah. multi- mul- multiple times. So I think listening is one. Uh, and second is being intentional about things. So mm-hmm. uh, I think, you know, a diverse team, obviously, you know, um, no question drives the business bigger and better. Yeah. Uh, so how do you make sure that you intentionally go about it and create, you know, diverse and inclusive teams, leadership teams, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you bring a diverse leadership team, then you bring the next level and next level. So forth. So I think inclusion yeah. and intentionality, I think is another attribute. And then frankly, uh, the advantage of this post pandemic world is it has brought the world together more. Uh, yeah. Right. So um, as much as in- internet and social media have done, now, I think this kind of forced us to be together. So how do we leverage the global landscape we have? How do we bring things, teams together so that we could collaborate more and make a bigger impact and leverage the scale better, especially when we compete for talent? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the other attribute of my leadership uh, focus that has, I would say, amplified more you know, during amplified. the last two and a half years. Yeah. Well, that's a, that, that's a great a great description of it. And my last uh, Leadership Live two weeks ago, I was talking with the CTO at Audible, and he had a very similar answer about listening, but we also talked about the surprising things he learns, like things that, you know, like a situation where he thinks that, oh, the team is going to love it if we do this. And then when he asks for feedback about it, you know, they tell him, well, actually, this is a better way to do it. And that's right. Yeah. I think that kind of listening, that speaking truth to power has become something that maybe I'd like to think it's going on more in technology organizations, even the really great big ones like yours. Yeah. And I think the role, as I said before, has changed, right? Mm-hmm. This is the best time to be in a technology leadership role because there is a plus waiting for you. Yes. Right? If you're a CIO, there's a big plus waiting for you to make a real business impact drive new digital business models, um, earn the seat at the table, and frankly, own the table in some of these these situations, right? So I think it's an important element of the CIO job, and it's quite exciting time. Yes, I love that idea. Um, Earn the table and own the table. That's a really, that could be, that could be, uh, that could be your new North Star, right? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. It's really been a great conversation. I've enjoyed having you here, Sastri. (laughs) Thank you, Mary Fran. It's my pleasure. If you joined us late today, uh, you can watch this full episode later right here on LinkedIn, but also on CIO.com and on our YouTube channel, Tech Talk. CIO Leadership Live is available as an audio podcast wherever you find your podcasts. And I hope that you enjoyed and learned as much from today's conversation as I did with the CIO and Chief of Client Services Organization for TIAA, Sastri Durvasala. We will look forward to having our next Leadership Live session with CIO Deepa Sony from the Hartford, the giant insurance company. It's going to be at a little bit of a different day and time. Generally, we are on Mondays or Wednesdays, but this one, due to the holiday two weeks from now, you uh, will be joining Deepa on Tuesday, October 11th at 10 a.m. Eastern in the morning. Thanks again for joining us today and do take a moment to subscribe to CIO's Tech Talk channel on YouTube, where you can find all of the 90 plus previous episodes of CIO Leadership Live. Stay well, and we'll see you again here next time. Thank you.